Top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball and if you love Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. Today's episode will be very different than previous shows. Sean Clancy, founder of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame and former proprietor of Foley's, the famous Irish pub in New York City, has a conversation with Dave Wills, the radio voice of the Tampa Bay Rays. To see video of this interview, head to irishbaseball.org. You can see the entire interview on the show, The Crack in the Bat on Irish Baseball TV. Let's turn things over to Sean Clancy right now on the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm Sean Clancy, president of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame, and I'm delighted this morning to be joined by a member of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame and voice of the Tampa Bay Rays, Dave Wills. Dave, thank you for joining us for a couple of minutes here this morning. We are uh, delighted to have you. Great to be here and uh, happy to help out here for a while. Dave, I have to tell you that uh, the reason why I want to have you on is many fold, but the, what I wanted to talk to you about came about when I was when I was delighted to be a, a guest at your St. Patrick's Day party a couple of years ago at your house. Now, I thought I had heard every single Irish or Irish-American song until that day when you were blaring something that I guess is from the south side of Chicago, and I'd never heard it. Yeah, you know, and I, I knew there was stuff that I was supposed to do this morning. I was going to pull up the lyrics to uh, the Southside Irish. Uh, we used to hear it all the time uh, for the Southside Irish Parade, which was uh, on Western Avenue. It still is. Yeah, Terry and Whitey would sing it all the time. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the Southside Irish from Bridgeport to Beverly and from, uh, you know, up north to South Shore. And there's two teams that uh, people on the South Side of Chicago root for. It's the Go-Go White Sox. And whoever beats the Cubs. It, it was an anthem for a long, long time uh, there for me in the south side of Chicago. Uh, matter of fact, when I was doing pregame and postgame shows uh, for the Chicago White Sox, I used to call it the uh, uh, south side trifecta. When the White Sox would win, the Cubs would lose. And at the time, the Twins were uh, holding on to the top spot a lot of times in the American League uh, Central. And if they would lose, it, it, unfortunately for the White Sox up until 2005, it didn't happen often enough. But uh, um, you know, again, that, that was a song that uh, was kind of a South Side anthem for a long, long time. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit. What was it like growing up in the South Side? Oh, it was awesome. Uh, you know, again, uh, a lot of people wonder how you become, you know, you, you just because you're on the South Side of Chicago, you become a White Sox fan, but that's not necessarily the case. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, my first ever game was a Cub game. Uh, rode the train with my mom and my younger brother, Bill, downtown to meet my dad, who was working for IBM at the time, and uh, we uh, met him at the IBM office, and and then we took the other another train from downtown Chicago up to Wrigley Field, and uh, you know again it was neat to go see a big league baseball game. I think it was a Cubs Cardinals game. We had incredible seats, but it was uh, a midsummer's uh, July afternoon at Wrigley Field, and all I remember, and I wasn't quite as portly uh, back then. I was actually a skinny kid, uh, but it was still smoking hot. And I remember uh, you know just kind of going through my dad's. Uh, uh, handkerchief that day trying to stay cool and uh, I think I don't even know if we made it through the entire game which was blasphemy but uh, uh, then a few weeks later went with my my mom's uh, brothers with my dad and my younger brother and we went to a White Sox game at night and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world to be playing baseball under the lights and uh, so I kind of fell in love with that White Sox team uh, back in the early 70s Bill Melton winning the 
home run uh, championship back in 1971. And, uh, the, you know, my first glove was a Billy Williams glove, though, another former Chicago Cub. And then the, the, the broadcast that got me started in the, in the minor leagues was me doing a game from the catwalks at Wrigley Field. So I've got a lot of Cub in me, but uh, I grew up a White Sox fan on the south side of Chicago, hung out with a lot of, uh, you know, again, being a, an Irish Catholic uh, family. We were one of five, but we were one of the small. I was the oldest of five kids, but we were one of the smaller families. Uh, you know, we had the Cahills who had eight, the Heinzes who had eight kids. We had, I think the Cahills might have had 11, as a matter of fact. Uh, the Heinzes had eight, the Hayes had eight, uh, you know, so you, you hung out with uh, the McNallys and the McNicholases, and uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of Irish on the south side of Chicago uh, growing up and playing baseball, and uh, you look at the rosters of uh, a lot of those teams uh, back in the day, and I played for the Cobras and then the Dusters in Little League, and uh, you saw a lot of uh, Irish last names uh, on the south side of Chicago, in Oakland specifically, where I grew up. So basically, there was a strong sense of being Irish. I mean, it wasn't, you weren't just Irish in March. It was, you know, like, how, now how far back do we have to go before we find people that talk like me in the, in your, in your. Not, not far at all. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, I, I could totally understand you, which, uh, you know, again, took a little while sometimes I'd be like, excuse me, what? But um, we have the Murtaugh's and uh, a few other ones that, that would come into TC pub. And uh, when I was bartending there way back in the day and they had their flat top hat on and, uh, that that's a south side of Chicago staple uh, on days uh, during the winter months uh, where uh, that's the hat they put on, not the big knit uh, skull cap that you see uh, people putting on nowadays. It was the flat top uh, uh, hat that uh, is is so prevalent in in the city of Chicago and especially on the south side. But uh, there was a guy Jim Murtaugh who uh, loved the man to death, one of the nicest guys I, I ever met. Going back to my bartending days, treated me not like a bartender, like some people have a tendency to do when they uh, think that you're just slinging beers and pouring drinks. But uh, this guy was the nicest man in the world. He'd leave nice tips for the kids when we'd be raising money for Park Lawn, uh, trying to do some nice things for them. And yet to this day, I don't know if I've ever understood a word that he ever said. Uh, I just knew that, uh, you know, what beer he wanted uh, and uh, what uh, what he liked and would nod my head and do a lot of yes like this. But uh, there was there's a lot of guys with the old Irish brogue on the south side, uh, and you know, again, going up in Oklahoma, St. Germain uh, Parish, uh, St. Gerald, St. Linus, St. Catherine, uh, you know, that that's that's the neighborhood you were from. Uh, when you mentioned you were from somewhere on the south side of Chicago, you know, they didn't need to ask you what was the intersection or what town, uh, they asked you what parish, and uh, you know, that's, that's how they kind of filled in specifically uh, where you were growing up in the city of Chicago especially, but also even on the south side, the uh, south suburbs, uh, you know, there's a, there's a you know, some people take exception to South Suburbanites like myself. I was born in the city of Chicago, but raised in Oak Lawn. Uh, they, they don't consider us to be South Side. We're South Suburbs. But, uh, you know, again, I, I had a blast growing up. And like I said, too, uh, a lot of it was filled with uh, a lot of guys like me who uh, uh, I had a lot lighter here. Maybe it's starting to get a little bit lighter as you can see some of the, uh, the salt and pepper kicking in. But uh, it was a blonder uh, mix. And there, there was a lot of guys with blonde hair, freckles, red hair, freckles. Uh, playing a lot of baseball in the, in the south uh, suburbs in the south side of Chicago for sure. Oh, that's pretty cool. So we got that squared away. So let's talk a little bit about how that, you know, <clears throat> looking blondie, freckled kid, uh, the journey that has taken you now to be, you know, one of the finest, if not the finest, uh, baseball play by play guys in, in, in baseball. <laughs> 
you know, so, so you, you know, you, well, you know, I mean, it, 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 it really, it goes back to the fact that I just wasn't good enough to play. Um, you know, I wanted to be a, actually I went to college and I was just going to small school, Elmhurst college to uh, be a student. I was a very mediocre high school student, uh, more than mediocre high school basketball player, maybe a little bit better of a baseball player, but didn't play my senior year. So, uh, Went to Elmhurst College just to be a student, and next thing you know, about a week into school, they said that uh, they only had about 11 or 12 guys out uh, for the basketball team, needed a few more warm bodies. Um, I went to a couple of, uh, you know, early uh, fall practices uh, and uh, ultimately ended up making the team, scored my one point on December 20th, so at least I wasn't shut out of my uh, uh, freshman year on my uh bio in the media guy that said he's a year away i think if they were still writing that bio right now they'd probably say he's still a year away but uh you know had, had you know just played the the one year of basketball and the next thing you know uh baseball kind of came a call and they found out it was left-handed they had graduated about three or four pitchers the year before uh gave it a shot and uh, it worked out really really well i ended up pitching uh, a lot uh, the last three years i was at elmhurst college i had a pitching coach by the name of mike young who uh, grew up in on the north side of Chicago, went to school in Wisconsin, and then started traveling Europe and uh, in, in Australia as a baseball player, kind of a nomad. Just went from town, you know, country to country to keep on playing baseball. Ultimately landed down in Australia, and ended up being the Australian uh, uh, national team head coach uh, for their Olympic team back in 2000, I think, and uh, one of the other years after that. And uh, when I was uh, the head baseball coach at the University of Chicago in 1990, I called him up to be a reference on my resume. And uh, he said, no. Um, and I said, well, why not? And he said, uh, I want you to get out of coaching. I want you to get back into broadcasting. And I had kind of taken a detour from broadcasting after graduating from college. I did it for a number of years at a company called Sports Phone, the old 9761313 number. Kind of got bored with that. and. Uh, I went off and, and did a couple things in PR and did a few other things. And the next thing you know, I ended up back coaching at my alma mater, Elmhurst College. Then the University of Chicago called. I coached that team for 1990 and had a blast doing it. Uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, uh, you know, we, we played teams like Notre Dame, St. Joseph's in Indiana, um, you know, up and down and went down to Florida, played teams like Johns Hopkins, uh, Case Western Reserve, some really, really good schools, Brandeis, and, uh, and, and had a blast doing it. And I thought I wanted to coach. And, he said, no, get back into broadcasting. I sent him a, a tape of me doing that game at Wrigley Field. And uh, a few weeks later, the owner of the soon-to-be Kane County Cougars uh, called me up and said, I'd like to meet with you. And I met with him at his office. And he said, well, I, if it was up to me, I'd make you the play-by-play guy right now. But we're going to hire our general manager, and then I'm going to let him make the decision. So our general manager, Bill Larson, gets hired. This is in late November, and then in early December, I think I went out to Kane County for three different interviews while I was bartending and working till 4 o'clock in the morning, and I think I finally showed up to the last one about four hours late because I was up till 4 o'clock in the morning the night before, but uh, he still hired me. I'm not sure to this day he's ever listened to my uh, tape because uh, I've heard stories that he would go into the booth next to me and talk with our official scorer, Marty Cusack, um, another fine Irish lad, and... Uh, would, would just listen and, and say, who's this guy on, on the radio right here? You listen to the Cubs or the White Sox, and he'd say, well, I'm listening to our guy. This is the Cougars guy. So uh, uh, did that for five years, parts of five years, and then the White Sox came calling, and uh, I was fortunate enough that the radio station that I was on at Kane County could reach almost 3 million people. Um, 
And while I was uh, with the Cougars, I applied for a couple of big league jobs. And I had a few people tell me, you know, yeah, you got to go from A ball to double A to triple A. And I I didn't quite understand that because I I didn't understand why I would have to leave Kane County Radio, which was reaching two to three million people, to go to, say, Mobile, Alabama and get on a radio station that reaches 25,000. Uh, and that's going to make me a better broadcaster because I'm calling better baseball, maybe. Uh, so fortunately, the White Sox gave me a shot. And then uh, in 2004, uh, I heard rumors that the, uh, uh, the the Tampa Bay Devil Rays were looking for a radio guy. And um, I actually sat on that for about a week. Um, I didn't do it. Uh, wasn't ready to do it because I, I just moved into a, a new home uh, in, in further south of Chicago in Orland Park. And was really kind of comfortable with what I was doing. I was doing uh, White Sox pregame, postgame, and some play-by-play. I was doing UIC Flames basketball play-by-play. Uh, I was hosting a show with the Notre Dame athletic director, Kevin White, uh, doing some pregame football and basketball for Notre Dame, and then doing a TV show in Chicago. So I was really doing like five or six jobs, but it was paying all the bills and then some. And so I was kind of like, yeah, I'm not sure. The Devil Rays aren't very good. Uh, I haven't heard great things about the team. And Lo and behold, I just thought to myself, you know what? It's one of 30 jobs in the world. So I better give it a shot. I sent the tape in. Uh, there's a mutual friend of ours, Rick Vaughn, who I understand on that particular day had just been in with a group of people who dwindled the pool of almost 300 applicants down to 10. And uh, somebody walked in and said, hey, I've got a, you know, envelope here with your name on it. And Rick, out of the kindness of his heart, decided to play the CD. And I became number 11 of the final 10. And then uh, the rest is history. I ended up working up with, uh, hooking up with Andy Freed. And, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, you, you mentioned me earlier, but, uh, I, I honestly believe that when you get Andy and I together, uh, I do tend to believe that there might not be that many better broadcasts out there. I, don't I know, know. really, I mean, really, it's been proven. I mean, they've been voted the number one in, in baseball, you know, I mean, well, you know, again, and, and that's, that's all nice and dandy, but I love working with Andy and, uh, it, it's been a blast ever since. I'm glad I did it. Okay, and now listen, I'm going to preface this by saying I love Andy as well, you know, And but I have a question for you. If Is there anybody, living or dead, that you could do one game with? Who would it be? Oof. Now, I'm going wow. to make this easy. I'm going to take John Sterling out of the equation for you. Anybody other than John? <laughs> uh, that, that would really enjoy. I, you know what? Wow, that, that would be one. I wish you would have told me this about two days ago. I could have, could have really worked uh, through this. I mean, you know, Listening back as a kid, I, you know, growing up in Chicago, loved Harry Carey. Um, I, you know, I did actually several innings with Jimmy Pearsall, um, which back in my Kane County Cougar days, which were absolutely outstanding, entertaining. I had my finger on the cough button the entire time, ready to dump him uh, just in case he said something he wasn't supposed to say. But uh, that was a blast. Uh, you know, I, I, I would say Harry Carey probably, but at the same time then, I've heard some documentaries that Harry wasn't at times maybe the easiest guy to work with and would love to all have all the big moments. And I love having all the big moments. So uh, I think that the guy that I thought would be maybe kind of really, really interesting, maybe would be Tony Kubek. Um, I think Tony's a guy that, you know, from a color commentary standpoint, uh, Tony's a guy that uh, was probably one of the best in the business, if not the best in the business for a long, long time there. And uh, I think he left the game really, really early. Um, I think he would have been a blast to do a game with, just to continue to learn about the game. I mean, you never 
really should stop learning about the game. I, I love talking to baseball people. It's one of my favorite things to do when I go to Foley's is to talk to different baseball people, especially umpires, learn some of the nuances of what they're doing and how they're doing it and uh, different ways that they call a game. So I think Tony would have been on the list, obviously Vin Scully, uh, you know, I, but you know, Vin, I, I wouldn't want to ruin his booth. I mean, you know, I don't want to be in there and ruin what Vin Scully's doing, but that was one of the, the joys of a lifetime was being able to meet Vin Scully and then have him be not only as nice as you would expect him to be, but nicer. Yeah. I mean, you know, oh, Dave and Andy, come on in. I was hoping you'd stop by and, uh, you know, spending some time with Vin. And then at the end of it, uh, congratulating him on doing, uh, I think it was 67 years or something like that of Major League Baseball. And I told him that uh, I was doing the math the night before that if uh, I did this for 67 years, I'd be 116 my last year of doing uh, baseball. And all he did was look at me and go, well, Dave, we're all living a little longer nowadays. And, uh, you know, so it, it was quite the ending to that. But, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's going to be a name that's going to pop up. And then the next time you and I get together, we'll have a nice conversation about it. But, uh, you know, I mean, how can you pass up guys like, you know, Lou Gehrig or, you know, down the line, uh, maybe having a couple beers with Babe Ruth or. I was going to, that was what I was going to bring up. Was I was going to say if, we had a table in the corner at Foley's and you have five people to pick with, but seeing as the last guy that they asked to do that brought up Hitler and uh, somebody else, I thought, man, maybe we won't go quite quite that far. But it's well, he's not on my list. I'll just you, me you mentioned you mentioned you're like you know meeting Vince Scully. So I brought my father with me uh, to go out to present him with his plaque for the when he was inducted into the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame, and he's actually um, a second cousin of my father's. And uh, so, I mean, I, I was just like, you know, in awe. And he was the same thing. He's like, Sean, I've been dying to meet you. He said, and is this your father, John? And he's like, John, I want to talk to you about Bally Connell. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is Vince Scully. I want to talk about baseball. <laughs> and my father's like, I remember when, when your father was leaving Bally Connell and, and me and my, my brother, we had to catch the chickens. And I was like, I never thought I would be having a conversation <laughs> about catching chickens with Vince Scully. But he made it sound more interesting than anybody else. In the oh, world I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I used to, when, whenever there would be um, an evening where I knew I wouldn't be seeing someone like yourself later at night, and I would always time um, leaving Foley's uh, so that I would get the first three innings that he would do on the radio on his own. And, uh, you know. <laughs> you know, and, and I think it's, you know, and, and that says a lot about, you know, appointment radio when it comes to baseball. And, uh, you know, and that's just it. I mean, we are the soundtrack of the summer. Uh, like I've stolen Andy's line here for the last uh, 10, 12 years. And we just try to be good company. And uh, there was no better company than Vin Scully, as you said. Uh, you know, being able to, uh, you know, put Vin on the radio and drive home from Foley's uh, was about as uh, comfortable as some uh, old comfy shoes or yeah. sandals or whatever the case may be. So that's what we just try to do. And uh, he was the best of the best. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, you know there's uh, to me there's nothing better than slapping on a set of headphones and whether it's take fully for work whatever and just you know spend time with you guys. I mean you know people when you think about it you know you're 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 we're with you for you know 162 days of the year. I mean and it's for four hours. So I mean it's it's yeah there there's a great poster in the uh, in in the Minnesota Twins uh, press box and. I don't know if you've been up to the new ballpark's press box, but it's uh, yeah. all about Herb Carneal, and it says he was with you 
when you walked the dog. He was with you when you mowed the lawn. He was with you when you changed the oil. He was there when you changed out the storm windows, when you raked the leaves in the fall. Uh, and, and that's just it. That's we are. We're, we're with you. We don't necessarily have to be locked into a conversation. I think that's the beauty of baseball, especially on radio, is that uh, you don't have to be. There are guys who are tuned in and, and like really locked into every word you say. But uh, I think a lot of people just have us on in the background. And when they start to hear myself or Andy start to get a little bit excited, then they kind of stop maybe what they're doing to hear what the what's going to happen in the game or what is happening in the game. But that is the beauty of baseball and radio is that, uh, you know, you don't have to listen to every single word and stay locked in. We just try to be good company with you when you're doing whatever you may be doing. And in your case, a lot of times I know over these last uh, year and a half or two, uh, walking fully in some of the most beautiful landscape in this, the state of Florida around there, uh, around Honeymoon Island. And and there are time, many, many times where uh, I know you'll shoot me a text and say, hey, we're listening right now as we're crossing over the bridge or we're on the beach. And uh, it's, uh, it's a nice way to nice way to spend a, a night in the state of Florida, that's for sure. Oh, what I thought, and the, the same token that you just said that, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll turn on the, the, when you're playing a day game, I'll turn on the car. Um, after finishing work or what have you, and without getting the score, I can tell by the tone, it's like, oh boy, it's not going well. <laughs> and he's not happy. Yeah, you know, and, and we, I, I do wear I do wear my emotions on the sleeve. I've had a few people, um, you know, uh, say that, that that's, you know, not the, the greatest way, but honestly, uh, I'm a Rays fan first and foremost. Uh, I just happen to have a microphone in front of me while I do it, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get so far as to say that, you know, I'm the happiest guy in the world when the Rays win and, and the saddest guy, but uh, I don't know if there are too many people that take wins and enjoy it more than I do in the same way with some tough losses. Uh, but I, I go back to our days when Joe Madden uh, was our manager, and I think Joe taught me a lot about the, the, the game of professional and Major League Baseball is that it's a daily thing, and if you get too high and get too low, it's going to really, really beat you up. So celebrate the wins for 30 minutes, and I know you know that uh, – there have been a few times where I've stopped by Foley's after games where I probably celebrated a little more than 30 minutes after a game. But also, uh, you know, if you lose a tough game, uh, you know, wallow in self-pity maybe for a little while for about 30 minutes and then move on. And that's what I've really uh, tried to do. And I think uh, it's a lot better for your health that way too. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 you know, for me, I know exactly what you're saying, but for me, I mean, um, I remember going to visit you guys in the trap back in some of those early years when you, you go in a, you go in a game in September and, you know, you guys might be 10 or 12 games out and, you know, <laughs> and, you know, the Notre Dame game may or may not have been on the monitor as opposed to the Rays game, you know, Maybe. and then mm -hmm. for, for me, that, that first year that you guys made the playoffs, was that 08? 08. 08. I mean, the excitement, I felt like I was part of it. Like I was living this, experience with you guys having been through all of those years where you know there were some bright spots and there were some good games and there was some fun things to talk about but mm -hmm. you know i mean you know i i uh i was lucky enough to be at game one of that world series um and then i had to fly to ireland um and i learned a lot about um roaming charges during that world series because i listened <laughs> uh, or i was watching and i couldn't listen to you guys like you do know but i was watching the game on my phone and i come back and i've got a 700 phone bill i was like mm. Mm. 
should have told Stu that when you saw him at Foley's a few years ago. Can I, can I, can I, yeah. Stu, Stu, would you mind paying this? So, Dave, listen, this has been an absolute pleasure. And I appreciate you taking some well, time and, you know, the giving. What we try to do is we try to give the members of the society, you know, a little insight into not just the baseball part of it, but just, you know, like the, the Irish side of it and the personal side of it. My Irish heritage, I mean, and the thing that I remember about growing up on the south side of Chicago about, you know, again, almost everybody, but especially the Irish, is that uh, one of my mottos has always been, uh, you know, anybody can work hard, anybody can play hard, but it, it's tough to do both. And I think uh, growing up, around the south side of Chicago. I saw a lot of people uh, work really, really hard, but then I saw them play really, really hard. And a lot of those uh, were the, you know, the O'Grady's and the O'Keefe's and, and like I said, the, the Heinz's and the Hayes's and, and then even the Wills's. So, uh, and and like you, like I was telling you too, when we went on the air, uh, uh, still have a very, very special spot in my heart uh, for everything you've done for me, uh, for my family, for our for our team and for the baseball community. And obviously for the, uh, the Irish community as well. There's my, my Foley's uh, menu that's uh, right on my wall in my office here that uh, I see when I walk in this office every day and I see when I walk out and uh, uh, miss the turkey burgers, miss the cold Bud Lights, miss a couple of Tito's here and there, but more, mostly and more importantly, miss the people. Uh, yes. really, really miss the people that uh, I bounced into all the time when I'd go into that place. It was a must-go uh, uh, situation. And uh, we went to New York one time last year because of the the pandemic and didn't go until the end of the year and it was the most awkward trip i've had there since uh, 2005. Uh, i just uh, i didn't know what to do where to go who to see and um, um and i just again thank you for having me thanks to everybody who tuned in and uh, sean i look forward to seeing you here in the burger in your future awesome take care thanks Dave. you're welcome that was sean clancy founder of the irish american baseball hall of fame with dave wills the radio voice of the tampa bay rays to see video of this interview, head to irishbaseball.org. You can see the entire conversation on the show The Crack in the Bat on Irish Baseball TV. In addition to that conversation, you can see Sean talk with Jim Palmer, Sean Casey, Steve Garvey, Tommy John, and so many more. I'm Rick Becker, and this has been episode 34 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.